Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Four rounds of football in the book in the AFL. The defending premiers, Melbourne, the only undefeated side. Down at the bottom of the table, the only side without a win is Port Adelaide. And some teams emerging in the middle of it all, although... Bit of a wake-up call for a couple of teams that started the season really brightly. Alistair Nicholson and Cameron Ling with you. Great to have your company. Special guest today on the program as well, Dave Mundy, in excess of 350 AFL games. He's ageless. He's still going. I think he's got at least another two seasons in him. Firstly, Lingy, welcome to you. Oh, thank you, Al. Great to be with you. And some terrific footy again this round. And uh, part of that terrific footy has been Fremantle too. So I'm looking forward to hearing Dave uh, from Dave, all about that. Uh, we're at the MCG today, you and I, uh, calling the game for Channel 7, and we saw a scintillating St Kilda completely destroy the Hawks. So uh, we've got lots and lots to talk about, um, but I want to say good day to our good friend, uh, Dave Mundy, who's, um, who's joining us. Dave, welcome, and thank you for being a part of it. Pleasure, Lingy. Al, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pretty great round of football, um, so I can't wait to have a chat about it. Yeah, and absolutely. Fremantle, as Lingy mentioned, going really nicely. In fact, the only game you've dropped this season, Dave, was that match against St Kilda back in, in round two. So what do you feel like's clicked for your team this year so far? Yeah, I feel like we've got a, a fair bit of continuity with our playing group. We've obviously gone through a rebuilding stage and a lot of those guys now have three or four or five you know, AFL pre-season and seasons in them. So they're physically matured and developed and able to run out games a lot better. But also through that time, we've all now played you know, 50 or 60 games together and have a bit more chemistry and a bit more understanding about what that guy's going to do in a particular moment. So um, that along with, I think, Justin Longville coming in and um, changed the game plan slightly and really emphasised our connection centre-forward, centre which is still a work in progress. Um, I think we're kind of, things are falling into place quite well for us. But Dave, if, Fremantle were three and one to start this season, and we're sitting at round four. We would have assumed that Nat Fife's had just a monster influence on on all of that, and has been back to vintage Nat Fife. It's not the case, unfortunately, for him because of his body. But gee, it's been impressive how many other players have stepped up and and filled the void. Yeah, I think that's been our greatest strength in the first all round so far this year. Is the even contribution across the ground? Our backs um, in our game yesterday were absolutely huge and really propelled a lot of attacks coming their way and, and were magnificent. Uh, Will Brody's been, you know, the bargain basement pickup of the year so far. He's <laughs> come in and slotted in really well. And um, we've been missing a few games. And now Caleb and Nat, as you mentioned, um, you know, his uh, playing profile has really slotted into our system well and, and he's really thriving. So it's good to see. I want to chat to you a bit more about the challenges you've faced along the road as well. And, and obviously, your crosstown rival West Coast has been heavily hit by challenges this season. Had a, a wonderful win over Collingwood on the weekend. But um, just to kick things off, we like to have a look at what caught your eye across the, the round of football. What did you absolutely love? For me, Lingy and Dave, it was at the MCG today, seeing Jade Gresham back to some of his best again. He's a beautiful finisher when he gets the ball in hand, he's so damaging with it. And he's been crueled by injuries the last couple of years. So to see him out there, one of seven Indigenous players that uh, 
St Kilda had out on the ground today against Hawthorne. I think your team, Frio, Dave, with eight is the record number of Indigenous players. But when you think about the representation in the Indigenous community across our population, that's 30% in that St Kilda team today, Indigenous. And they, they had a key hand in the win and, and Gresham was absolutely brilliant. So that, that really caught my eye. I absolutely loved that this round. What about you, Lingy? Well, the big one for me was a game going on for a bit of the time while we were working today, Albert, uh, managed to uh, catch the tail end of it. And I'm going to single in on one thing, and that's for the Gold Coast Suns I'm talking, and their terrific win over the Blues. Noah Anderson. We'll go back to the 2019 draft, and all the hullabaloo was about Matty Rowell, and quite rightly so. And he blasted onto the scene, I think, the first three games, three best on grounds. And who is this kid? He's incredible. It was all about the number one pick. And we just tended to forget a little bit about the quiet kid going about his business at pick number two from that same draft. Well, his performance and his improvement across uh, this season, the early part of this season, has been excellent. 35 disposals and a goal from Noah Anderson. He's just showing, hey, boys, don't forget about me. I can play the game. And he looks every bit a 250-game player. And uh, with, with Raul and with some of these other young players, Perhaps finally we can get the Gold Coast Suns heading up the ladder and playing some really sustainable footy. Yeah, well, the Suns have now moved to 2-2 two and two and they're ninth on the table, so just outside the eight. That felt like a danger game for Carlton today. Bit of a wake-up call for the Blues after an excellent start to the season. What caught your eye, Dave? What did you love across the round of football? Yeah, it was close to my heart, another old veteran of the competition, but um, Jack Zebel going forward this week and really putting the club on his shoulders and kicking five goals in, in a much improved performance, <clears throat> excuse me, um, for North Melbourne, they, they clearly had a really disastrous game last week and got absolutely belted by Brisbane. But um, size developing like this, the next week is, is really important and really vital. And um, to see that kind of response from their entire team, uh, led by their captain, uh, I thought it was really encouraging for the North Melbourne faithful. Yeah, a couple of positional shifts of, of real interest. And I know with Hiller, it happened last week against Richmond as well. But at the MCG today, seeing him get forward of the ball and bring his attacking flair, it was, it's clear he's going to be playing the majority of his football in that capacity. Again, just on North Melbourne, so for them to be humiliated by Brisbane the week before, and David Noble came out and he put it right on the players, but he also included the coaching group in, in saying that it wasn't acceptable, that they needed to turn it around, that they'd have a good look at things. A few players came in, some positional switches. As much as they lost the game, having led by 14 points midway through the last quarter, you would have to think that David Noble's reasonably proud of his group after what they showed at the SCG. Yeah, I would think so. And I think um, it shows how much AFL football is above the shoulders. What goes on in the head of each player and how they connect with their teammates is, is so vitally important each week. And that's one of the really hard things to replicate in a week-by-week fashion throughout a season. And and something that you know, comes with experience. And so a team and a club like North Melbourne who are building from the bottom up again, um, you know, it takes some time. So I think these kind of performances, even though they didn't get the win and the four points, um, they can really hang their hat on some of the, the effort and some of the um, gameplay that they had with each other. Zebel stays forward. Lingy, do you think now? I think it's worth a try. He's so damaging by foot. If you're winning ball in the forward half of the ground, go for it. Um, I think you've always got the option if the back line's a little bit too under the pump and just needs an experienced head, throw him back there, sure. But again, I, I think we spoke about this last weekend, Al. I was, everyone was up in arms. What a horrible game by North Melbourne against the Brisbane Lions. Yes, it was. Of course it was. 
but it's going to be part of the up and down of this really super young team. And a team that lost their probably one and only real experienced high-quality defender in Robbie Tarrant in the off-season, they're going to get blitzed at times, and then they're going to play some really good footy at times and put themselves in a position to win games. Now, David Noble will be really pleased with the effort, but he'll be really disappointed they didn't capitalise on all that work they did and, and win the game. That's going to be the story of the next 12 months. It'll still be happening early in next year. They're going to have these wildly inconsistent games and, and big swings in their, in their performance, but they'll get it because they're well-taught, they're well-structured, and I think with David Noble in charge, he'll be a calming influence. He'll be hard on them. He'll certainly put it towards them, but he'll, he'll be saying, hey, hey, we've got a longer goal in mind here. It's, you know, one week is not going to make or break us. We're going to build towards something. You've lived this, Dave. What is it like as a, a senior player within a group that's, that's building, that's trying to re-emerge? Again, the patience factor. Obviously, fans are not overly patient when it comes to performance. They want to see wins. And, and knowing that you're coming towards the end of your own career in the next few years as well, what is it like in that environment when a team is trying to, to build something sustainable long-term like that? Yeah, it can be incredibly challenging because each uh, individual has their own, I guess, motivations or agendas with wanting to you know, create some success or, or create, get to the end product really quickly. And, and we know that's really difficult. Uh, what Lingy spoke about, about that being patient um, and having a really stoic kind of manner, regardless of you know, wins or losses or performance or how the club or the team has performed on the weekend. Um, is really important, particularly from the senior leaders within you know, the coaching group, obviously, but within their playing group as well. Um, having that kind of calm influence week in, week out, um, teaching the younger guys, you know, the methodical nature of AFL football and becomes really habitual and really boring really quickly. But the quicker you can get to that stage and the quicker you can iron those things out and do them week in, week out for years on end, the better you'll become. Does it surprise you how well your team has started given, I guess, the difficulties that you've had to endure with players coming in and out of the side? You yourself have have fallen victim to that and the challenges associated with COVID isolation and not being able to train and and not being able to play as well. You lost your coach for a couple of weeks. So to be three and one, given you've endured all of that, is that above and beyond your expectations? Um, I don't think so. I think we've been, obviously we're treading water a little bit at the moment and being really careful with our social interactions, given the nature of it in the community in WA now. Um, But I know that we've had a really great run into the season, a really great preparation over summer. We've been able to pump out a heap of team training and and have guys on the track and really healthy and fit and together for the entire summer, which a lot of the Eastern States um, teams lacked. Uh, And one thing I've learned through my time in football is that preparation is an absolutely vital and key to AFL seasons, particularly in the back half of the season. So, um, no, I'm not too surprised, to be honest. Hopefully we can keep avoiding it and not have, like what West Coast had, they had you know, a lot of guys go out in one go. We'll still get exposed to it. And if we can manage that and keep that team, you know, one or two goals at a time, um, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, West Coast has been far more significantly affected than you, haven't they? And- in fact, I think they've only had four players this season who've actually played in all four rounds of football. So that's such a, one of them's Patrick Nash, who, who was only a recent addition to the side as well, having been let go by Richmond and I think trying to get a game with St Kilda as well before he ended up at the West Coast. He's actually played really well. 
That was heroic, I thought, what West Coast produced against Collingwood, a side that has its tail up under a new coach. It's got as much as Dugowie wasn't playing in Taylor Adams. Um, some of their better players have come back more and how and the like. For West Coast to win that game in Melbourne, given what they've been through, and I've also noticed a significant shift in the language coming out of West Coast. If we go back a couple of years, it felt like West Coast didn't really... Uh, put up with what was thrown their way in terms of the challenges associated with COVID and hubs and bubbles. They were quite vocal in their disappointment around some of the circumstances. This time the sleeves are rolled up, Lingy, and, and they're taking whatever comes. And I think that was reflective of the performance on the weekend. I, I agree with you, Al. I, I think, um, and I think you're putting it very kindly and gently because you're a, you are a very, very nice person, Al. <laughs> I, I think West Coast just, they just whinged and moaned and um, were really ordinary with the way they handled um, a situation that was unprecedented with the going to hubs and um, their, even from their key leaders. And it just filtered down through their entire playing group. Other teams got on with it and just said, we're going we're gonna to roll with what happens. I think they've learned from that and they've learned really well. We're not hearing any of the same messaging. Adam Simpson has been superb, I reckon, in the way that he's handled. He had every right two weeks ago when they had 14 changes to jump up and down and just call the AFL a disgrace for ploughing on and for saying this is jeopardising careers and jeopardising this and that. Um, it's it's stabbing at the heart of the integrity of the game and all that. He could have said all of that, but he didn't. He shut his mouth and he said, he talked about the excitement of the new players getting an opportunity. He talked about the fact that we're going to have to roll with it. He spoke about um, the fact that we'll come out of this the other side better for it. And I think a win against Collingwood that we saw is because of that strong messaging. Because as a player, Dave, you'd be the same. You take your lead off your coach, number one, um, certainly your captain and your leadership group, but also your CEO and your president who's out there talking. And if there's no excuses being spoken about publicly from them, well, you don't, you don't get to the club and think, oh, yeah, but we didn't have this and, yeah, we had to have this and all that. You just say, well, if they're saying it, we got to get on with things. And they have certainly learnt from handling it really poorly over the last two years. And hopefully West Coast get a great run at it now and they get a little bit of reward for the fact that they've just got to work and they've fronted up and played some terrific footy against Collingwood and got that, that wonderful win. What do you reckon, Dave? Yeah, I think when you hit the nail on the head, as a playing group in particular, you certainly do take the notes and the... Um, cues off the senior figures at the, at the football club and that, and that goes as high as you know, the president and the CEO um, uh, and then obviously filters down from there so um, and I think through, through this kind of last couple of weeks in particular there's been enough of that public outcry from external factors anyway where they've probably felt a measure of um, not, not required really to kick up a fuss or you know go down that pathway but um, yeah I their win on the weekend was exceptional. I certainly wasn't expecting it. I'm sure a lot of the football community wasn't. And when we got out of our game and I got the scores up on the phone, um, all of us were shocked. So it's a terrific win for them and hopefully can kickstart their season because we know, you know what a force they can be. You obviously want to be better than West Coast each season, but do you still want them to be relevant, to be you know up there contending for finals because of what that means for football in WA? Yeah, really selfishly, I want to be the best team in WA, but um, there's only, it's only happened a couple of times in my tenure, but when both WA teams are going well, the uh, atmosphere and the environment in WA in general is electric, and particularly as the 
season wears on and you get to the back end of it and you know, everyone talks, starts talking about September football, it's, it's really exciting. And so, um, yeah, certainly want, that, want to be a part of that. In a moment, we'll get to the Saints today, Lee, because they, that was a real statement performance from St Kilda, who, like Frio, are now 3-1 and one to start the season. Also, Carlton. Dave was watching the Carlton Gold Coast game today. He initially watched a bit of St Kilda Hawthorne, saw we were on the coverage. Lee Ian decided to divert his eyes <laughs> elsewhere. So, no, he's very diligent. Smart he knew he man. could complement to what we were discussing by watching the other games, so he can give, run the rule over... Gold Coast's impressive win over the Blues, which puts a halt to their unbeaten start to the season. But time for alarm bells. Where are the concerns after round four of football? Who is worrying you? Which team, which coach, which player in the AFL at the moment? Who's troubling you, Lingy? Well, Port Adelaide's obvious, so I don't want to go there. Uh, I mean, they're horror start and now with Ollie Wines and just really fingers crossed that Ollie's okay with that irregular heartbeat. Um, sounding like he is, but will miss weeks of football as they get the, his medication right. So I'm not going to go to Port Adelaide straight away. The dogs are the ones, Al, who are causing me a few concerns. I had them penciled in as top four this year with that midfield and with Aaron Norton's emergence with the solid back six and Bailey Dale and Caleb Daniels' uh, creativity across half back. Something's just not quite clicking with them. And yes, there was poor goal kicking and set shot goal kicking and, and that might have made it look worse than what it was but they only scored 61 points against a team that had been heavily scored against the week before um, and were vulnerable and perhaps a little bit of a chance to uh, take them down another peg or two and they've been such a good team for so long just the ability to score how the forward line works, uh, how they can capitalise on that midfield, is that midfield just getting numbers and, and looking okay on the stat sheet, but actually doing nothing with it. All of those little questions now are starting to creep into my mind. And I've just got a few little worries about the dogs. I look at, I don't want to quickly go to St Kilda game yet, but I look at the impact that Gresham and Hill had. Now they both had a day out. They they kicked four goals and and everything like that. But the ability to win possessions in the forward half of the ground and be really attacking and end the day with 20 touches, but highly impactful touches, versus just getting 32 or 33 and lots of little handballs that go nowhere and a little bit of, here, you have one, I'll get one back, you can have another one, I'll get another one type possessions. That concerns me. So my my questions are just piling up a little bit on the dogs, Al, and I don't yet have too many answers. So I, I do have a couple of alarm bells going off. That was a really fascinating game for me. I called that game for 3RW. Now, the, the interesting points for me were the way Richmond played that game. They, once they got going and got the game played on their terms, that looked like the Richmond of three or four years ago with their pressure and the way they suffocated the Western Bulldogs and gave them no space. But at one point in the game, Lingy, the Western Bulldogs had started so productively. They were two goals nine to three goals three. This is early stages, second quarter. The scores are level. So even if the Dogs had kicked another three or four goals, it put some pressure on them, winning all the key categories, clearances, inside 50s, had more of the ball, but didn't capitalise. And how real is the, the element of deflation that a team feels, that, run, that it runs through the entire group when you just don't capitalise on your opportunities? Because we've seen so often in football that the momentum swings, doesn't it? You're going to get your turn eventually. If you don't take your turn, then the opposition will. When you play such high 
effort football like the, the Western Bulldogs do. They do rely on their midfield. They do rely on outnumbering and, and winning that contest and, and scrapping and fighting and getting it back. Effort, 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 effort. And they get it down the ground. And they've ne- they haven't been a team even recently, you know, making the grand final last year that scores super easily, naturally. All that effort to get it in there. And then as a midfielder and as a defender who's been involved in all that effort to then... You know, you're up and the adrenaline's starting to pump and here we go and oh, there's another miss. And then you're all, all of a sudden you're scrambling, you're setting up, you're, you're chasing the, you know, with the new rule of kicking in now and you can, you can run and move. The ball's to the wing like that again and you're back involved in the play. So you don't, even, you don't get a break physically and you certainly don't mentally where you can think, yes, here we go. All that effort was worth it. So as I said, I'm not... I, I, the alarm bells aren't going bananas in my head at the moment now um, because maybe it was simply just the bad goal kicking that made mm-hmm. them lose that one and, and, and a lot worse than what it seemed. But oh, there's just a couple of unanswered questions there um, and they've got to finish the way. Bad kicking's bad football. So they, they, they have to sharpen up in a few of those areas if they're going to return back to the top of the mountain again and make a grand final again this year. That performance showed me that Richmond can do it again, and I wasn't sure that they could, particularly when you consider some of the players that they still have out of that side, the likes of Lambert and Grimes and Flostone not playing as well for Richmond. The way they played was thoroughly impressive, I thought. Have they, have they convinced you at all that they're in contention again? I thought they were in contention coming into the year, um, but I thought, you know, Dusty's impact was going to be huge again. I thought they didn't even mention Dusty. Yeah, so that that's another one, and and who knows it? I, I I'm not totally convinced because I saw them have ten goals straight kicked against <laughs> by St Kilda and think, oh, okay, um, maybe not. But then you watch that, so it, it's still little bit of up and down football from them. What it did remind me of was just how important Dion Prestia is for them. He's just an outstanding ball winner, but he's a two-way runner in the midfield as well. He's crucial to the way Richmond go. You throw back in Nick Floston, who's just outstanding at the intercept mark, a calm head back there. Yeah, I think Richmond can get going. I still believe in them, but I, I have nagging doubts with them as well, Al. Um, mm. they, they did have 10 goals straight kicked on them against That's the Saints true. last week. That's true. They can get on a run, the Saints, as we saw at the MCG today. I tell you what, Shea Bolton's goal is going to take some beating. I'll be very surprised if that gets bettered for goal of the year. And just a shout-out to Liam Baker, the way he plays for his size, his hunger, his desperation. He was so eye-catching in his performance on Saturday night as well. Alarm bells for you, Dave. Anyone, any, any going off anywhere at all? Yeah, this one's, not a little, this one's a little bit left of centre, but my alarm bells are for the general health and well-being of the Adelaide supporters. They've had uh, three <laughs> games finish under a kick. Uh, obviously, a tight one today and uh, last week after the siren and round one against us, one point. So um, they're living on a nice edge at the moment, the, the Adelaide supporters. And I know as a neutral observer, even I'm getting the sweats and getting involved in the game. So... I can only imagine what that added emotional attachment is, is doing to them. Um, but I'm sure they're loving the contest. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they've been impressive, I reckon, Adelaide, what they've been doing as they try and get themselves back up into a meaningful position and contending again. Josh Rochelle, he's kicked 10 goals for the season already in his first year of football. Taylor Walker came back in today, kicked four goals and, and had an impact for them as well. So some encouraging signs for Matthew Nix as much as Essendon won its first game of the season 
today at Marvel Stadium. Uh, I thought they were pretty good, the Adelaide Crows, in the way they performed for, for where they are in their development as a group. Alistair Nicholson and Cameron Link chatting with David Mundy and uh, we'll ask him at some point about what his intentions are going forward because, Lingy, seriously, fit as a fiddle, playing very good football at the moment. There are, I think he's wasting his time talking to us. There's no transition into media happening anytime soon, is there? No media transition yet, Dave. Not when you rip one out like you did this week. You were brilliant. Not How yet. are you feeling, mate? Oh, it's still a little bit croaky, to be honest. I'm not sure if it's coming across, but uh, I lost my voice halfway through the third quarter yesterday and, and managed to find it with a bit of water and some Gatorade and um, croak out a few instructions <laughs> in our last quarter for the boys. But, um, yeah, no, it, was, it was great to be back out there. I've been watching on the couch for two weeks and that was horrible. I, I certainly didn't enjoy that, um, even though we had a good win in the derby in one of them. Um, but, yeah, it was great to be back and it was a big game for the club. It was our um, Starlight Purple, Purple Haze game, so... Yeah, it's good to get a nice win. Do you want to just keep playing as long as you can, mate? In your mind, is it if, if I feel fresh and I'm playing good football and contributing, I may as well maximise my time in the game? Yeah, I still feel like on game day in particular, I'm contributing and have a role within this team. Um, but to be honest, game day is the easy bit. Like motivation and energy on game day is the easiest to find. It's the Monday to Friday, which is the, the grind and, and the more difficult part. Um, mentally to tune into and really be switched on. Um, but I'm still really enjoying coming to the club, grinding through pre-seasons and trying to you know, help guys around me. So, um, yeah, I'll go for as long as they'll have me. Well, Dave, I reckon you should keep going for as long as you possibly can. Um, but can I talk really quickly, Al, about the team that Dave played against this week, the Giants? I, I know we just did alarm bells there. Um, and I don't want to take, this is not to take anything away from Fremantle because I thought they were absolutely superb in their, in their win. You and alarm bells when it comes to GWS, is not just a couple of alarm bells going off a polite ringing of the bells. It's more like when there's been an enormous wedding and the church bells are just going off for about a minute. That's sort of been you and GWS for some time, Lingy. They've frustrated you a lot. Well, I was driving up in the car today to the MCG to come and spend some time with you. And I was just, I, I was thinking, what? What are the Giants? What are the GWS Giants? And the answer I came to, they're the junk food version of the AFL. They are junk food. Because when they play good football, and the likes of Whitfield and Kelly and Cornelio and Taranto and Hogan and Himmelberg and that, all highly talented players. Gee, they're a sugar rush. They're just a beautiful little bit of quick satisfaction and they look fantastic (laughs) and, and away we go. But you know what I've worked out? They have zero nutritional value whatsoever. Our, their, their ability to back up and play high-quality football every single week and really sustain you um, right through those long hours of a football season, it's just not there. Um, and I, I just get so frustrated by them. Again, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Freya Mantle because that's going to seem disrespectful, but I just think that the Giants, with those names I reel off and the talent they've got on their list, they've got to be better every single week that they're playing. They don't have excuses um, of being, well, we're an up-and-coming team. Oh, we've got young players. We've got this and we've got that. When you've got the likes of Whitfield and these guys running around in the middle of the ground, you've got to be better. And I'm just, you know, they're not, they're not a health food for me, Al. They are just pure junk food. Good for a little five-minute burst and that is it. 
<laughs> Unlike Dave Mundy, who is like the, he's the he's your balanced diet. He's your meat and three veg. He's your grains, everything you need. A bit of calcium thrown in on the side. He's a bit of the filet works. mignon and a beautiful little uh, mushroom sauce and a bit of broccolini. And very it's nice. interesting where GWS finds itself because Leon Cameron has, has openly come out and said that you know contract negotiations for him are on hold until the end of the year and. I think Leon Cameron's done a really good job as coach of GWS. He's got them really close to a grand final in 2016. He's got them into a grand final in 2019. They ultimately haven't been able to taste the success that they're after. But you compare that coming into the competition a year after the Suns, who are yet to make the finals. I think Leon Cameron's done an excellent job. And Ken Hinckley, as well as the other coach, where the pressure's just starting to build a little bit. And, and like Leon, I think he's got tremendous runs on the board Ken Hinckley, but Port Adelaide, you can't hide from the fact Port Adelaide has made preliminary finals in the last couple of years, hasn't advanced and finds itself as the only team without a win this season. So I think we would all acknowledge, and and correct me if I'm wrong, that we're talking about two good coaches here, but is there a time, and have you two ever had experiences in your own careers where you may be a good coach, uh, you may still have the players, but there's something about the sameness of the environment that's not not allowing the team to reach its full potential. Can that happen? Is that a, a real thing in football? We had a sliding doors moment at Geelong. Um, sorry, Dave, I'll let you jump in in a yeah. sec. But in you know 2006, and that was quite well publicised when um, Brian Cook did a, a big review. And I think it was that moment for Mark Thompson. He'd been there, what, seven years at that stage. And it was... Is the message getting through? Is this going somewhere? We made a prelim in 04, semifinals 05 and 06 was a really disappointing year. Now, to Brian Cook's credit and, and every, the, the right decision was made, absolutely, because we totally believed in the direction we were going in with, with Mark Thompson and the rest is history. But those questions can start coming, can't they, Dave? And if there's a, a lot of external noise and certain key people within the club start listening to that external noise, perhaps the wrong decision ends up being made and you move on from a really good coach. Yeah, we had a similar, but it turned out differently, environment with the end of Chris Connolly's tenure when we were, we made a prelim in 06 and then on the next couple of years really fell off the cliff there. And, um, but similar, the outside noise was coming hard and, and Chris was a real lightning rod for that being our senior coach. And it got to the point where, um, you know, Chris really made the brave decision to kind of almost fall on his sword and leave the football club um, in a bid to try and leave the football club in a better position and a better space. Um, I guess um, from an outside pressure perspective, he thought that if he walked away and he would take a lot of that pressure and a lot of expectation that was really piling up on the club and really suffocating the playing group and and the club in general. So, um, yeah, these things can build up and, you know, Clubs can decide and go different ways and things like that, but ultimately, it's yeah. Is is the cl- is the coach able to drive the playing group? You know, in, in a week to week, twenty two rounds, twenty five weeks of year in competition, and it's a difficult thing to do. And that, those questions, you know, need to be asked and, and answered, and a direction will come from it. Because you talk about the grind, Dave, as a player, week to week. Game day is obviously full of stimulation, and you've got a lot of energy for it. And I'm sure that would apply to a coach as well. It's a it's a gruelling gig being a senior coach, isn't it? You, you, Mick Malthouse talks about he had the first full night's sleep in his life in 30 years after he retired or finally finished coaching Carlton. He woke up one morning and he thought, I've actually slept through the entire night because he'd just given absolutely all of his mental energy to coaching over that, that period of time. So it is a difficult 
job. But what about when the financial element comes into it as well? So you have the jungle drums starting to beat a bit, then the sponsors start to get a bit restless. They can have an influence. You, you do need very strong leadership above the senior coach, don't you, in a, an administrative capacity to ride out that storm that's engulfing a club when you're not performing well. You do, Al. No, you're spot on. And that strength of leadership is really what stands the test of time because a lot of sponsors, um, if they do start shouting that, they don't really have a clue about footy and don't have a clue about the really the inner workings of a football club. You know what? Most of the time, a lot of the board members don't either. They're usually brilliant business people in their own right, but they come onto the board because they're supporters of that club. And sometimes they... They almost leave their business brain behind and turn into just a full-on supporter and, um, and get quite emotional in a football boardroom, which they wouldn't allow to happen in their really well-run businesses. So you need that strength of a, a really good CEO, a really good uh, key members of the board to say, hang on a second, let's stop reacting to a, win, a loss here and a bad performance there, heaps of noise out there. What is the direction, as Dave just said, what is the direction that we're going in? Is the, are the right things being done to try and achieve that direction? What, what are the, really, the things that we value and will make us a really good team in the long run, even though it doesn't feel like it's working right now? And ask those questions. Are they being answered? Are they being implemented? And if they're not, is it still the right person to see it go forward, but he needs a bit of support or a bit of a challenge and a bit of a kick along? Um, do we need... To, to bring in some other people or is he the wrong person? You, you can you ask those questions constantly in a really calm, controlled manner and come up with the answers. And as Dave mentioned, then you set the direction from there and you don't let that outside noise infiltrate your decision-making. You've got a really strong relationship with Ken Hinckley. Do you, are you concerned about his future at, at Port, given I the start wor- they've had and, and what the expectations would be around that team this year? I worry, yes, because I absolutely love him. Um, I love what he did for me in my career and, and at Geelong. And I think he is a, a very, very good coach. Um, he, his players play for him. Tactically, he's very good. Uh, he's a calm, authoritative speaker to the group. He, he doesn't rant and rave, but he's really strong with his messaging. I think he's a very good coach. However... When the expectations are raised so high because you've made those prelim finals, but you haven't made the extra jump of grand final and premiership, and then you start the season like you have, and perhaps it's going to get even worse when Ollie Wines might not play for two, three, four weeks, whatever it might be, and those losses mount up, and the cauldron-like atmosphere of Adelaide and being the the two-club town, I do worry. Um, I hope he gets through it because I think he is still the man to lead that that club and, and can get them there. Um, but we, we are such a win-loss industry. If you don't win and the expectations are up there and your, your results are down here, do they get you quickly? Uh, and everybody's going to come from every single angle who wants to uh, take someone down. I hope he gets through that. He's a very good man and a very good coach. Yeah, I think coaches are pretty onto that too, aren't they? They understand the nature of the business that they're involving themselves in and they know it's not a full-time job like 
you know, back in the day where you might work in the same occupation for 35 years. This, that's not AFL football. That's not the business of football and, and how it works. Big story at the MCG today is going to be Paddy Ryder. St Kilda, when Paddy Ryder and Rowan Marshall play together, we mentioned the stats in the broadcast, when 68% of their games, it drops to 39% when only one of them plays. And, and Paddy Ryder's bump on Will Day that left him concussed is going to come under the, the scrutiny of the match review officer, Michael Christian. We'll get to that in a moment, but I mentioned Dave Mundy was watching the clash between Gold Coast and Carlton, so we can let him bring us up to speed with, with what he liked about the performance from Gold Coast. And going into the game too, Dave, I have to say, as much as Carlton were three and zip and, and just got over the line against Hawthorne the week before, it felt like that banana skin game for, for Carlton and, and they well and truly slipped on it today. How did you see it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think Gold Coast again today showed a little bit of their history, to be honest. Early in the season, up on the Gold Coast, a bit greasy, a bit slippery, and they play those conditions really well. Um, what they were able to do today was their work rate and contest the contest and the ability to really cleanly gather the ball and then spread from that contest was, was really eye-catching and, and really exceptional, I thought. And I think um, Carlton were really hampered with um, you know, a bit thin in the ruck and then Paddy, uh, Paddy Cripps going down. Uh, with a, ham- a suspected hamstring injury being subbed out quite early. I think that really hurt them around the ball. And um, Lingy mentioned Nair Anderson before, had an absolute stack of it. Took Miller got off the leash again, again this week after being well held last week by Lockie Ash. And um, they just drove the ball forward constantly. And Mabuo Chal up forward and um, looked really dangerous. And, and they were able to you know, move the ball really well and really quickly off their half-back line. What does it mean for Carlton, do you reckon, Lingy? There was a lot of hype surrounding, you know, what they were producing so far this season through the opening three rounds to be undefeated. Massive crowd, 66,000 when they played Hawthorne was way above what you would usually expect for a match like that. So they've come out of the woodwork and they're, they're pretty excited. But I think there would be a lot of supporters very disappointed with that result today. Yeah, but just a, perhaps a little reminder to the players that football is a very, very hard game. You need to constantly respect the game in your preparation, your mental, the way that you decide to play. And, and I mean that, um, and I hope this makes sense, what I'm about to say, but it, it's a subtle thing. You get to the game. Mark Thompson, Bomber used to always say to us, you've already made your mind up by the time you arrive at the game, how are you going to play? Are you going to be totally committed to every single little thing that the team needs you to do? In your own, taking responsibility for your own performance in, I need to do this and this and this and be right on to every single thing that's important. Or are you just paying that a little bit of lip service and that's what you say to the coach in the meeting, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But you've already decided that you can go about things in a little easier way. And it's only a couple of percent. It's much more subtle than probably what I'm even saying. Um, and just perhaps there's a chance Carlton players thought we'll go up there, we're going well, we win that game. And it's just a little reminder that never, ever disrespect the game of AFL football because it's a brutal game. And there's terrific players on every team Forget about ladder positions. Forget about history and never playing finals or anything like that. The Suns are as dangerous as anything. Um, yeah, just a little, could be good for them. Could be really good for them. Unfortunately, as Dave mentioned, though, what happens if Paddy Cripps is a three or four week hamstring? Um, who jumps into that spot? Now they've got a deep enough midfield that might cover it, but Cripps has been so special in these opening rounds that somebody's going to have to pick up at least 75% of that slack to say, we can still produce as a group through the middle of the ground a high-quality performance. 
Carlton plays Port Adelaide at the MCG in this round. That's on Sunday afternoon. So that's going to be a really interesting match. Carlton obviously doing well and wanting to consolidate its start after now dropping a game. And Port Adelaide desperately seeking a, a first win for the season. So that that will be fascinating. I, it might sound crazy at 0-4, and four, but I don't think you can totally rule Port Adelaide out of the final eight make-up by the end of the year if they can get some of their players back. Alira Lear is an All-Australian defender. An intercept king who sets them up in the back half. Charlie Dixon gives them structure in the forward line and the speed comes from the likes of Fantasia and, and Gray as well and goal-scoring power. So they can get some of the personnel back. Let's see what happens later in the year. But we do make a lot of early assessments in football seasons. You can only go on the evidence of, of what you've seen. And we saw a very impressive St Kilda today. I was really taken by the way they played the game. Obviously, King's going to be a star of the competition. He's already showing signs, but complemented by, I think, a, a really good work ethic from a range of players within that St Kilda lineup. Starting with the back line too, Lingy, they're, they're rock solid back there today. I, I thought they played so well and guys like Webster and Sinclair set them up beautifully off half-back. Yeah, you're right. And um, perhaps I might have to backtrack a couple of my comments from uh, a few weeks ago, Al, which um, I don't usually like to do. Um, well, we wanted to introduce a new segment called Dead Arguments. So thoughts that people have popped up. This is after you took Kane Corns to task around his suggestion that Connor Rosie was by far the player deserving of being taken at number one in the draft ahead of Sam Walsh. And that had been completely put to bed. So that was a dead argument. Well, the dead argument might well be your assessment of St Kilda in round one, Lingy, where you said you didn't rate their list and you thought they were an average team. And I'll even throw in another dead argument because... I reckon you might have given Bradley Hill a few clips along the way as well. Has uh, he now, put that to bed today? No, hang on a second. That one's not tucked into bed with a nice hot water bottle just yet. Al. <laughs> I, I want to see that for a few more weeks before I go getting carried away. I think um, I think a little bit of the little bit of the flack that Brad has copped has been warranted. Um, I, I don't like, and I stand by the record. I don't like when Brad Hill. He's running round the back, getting little handballs deep in defence um, just to chip it sideways to get it back again. And that, that's, not his, that's not his special part of his game. Don't do it. Don't aim to get 26, 28 touches doing that. Play the style that he played today. Not every game is going to end up in him kicking four goals. I'm not asking for that. But damaging, hard running, using the ball inside forward 50, using his weapons, which is his running ability and his beautiful long kicking of the ball. Play like that and do that week after week for about the next six or eight weeks, Al. And then I promise you, I will, uh, I will definitely own up to my mistake there. Uh, on the Saints, they've, if you remember, and there's not defending myself, but if you remember, I said they only had a couple of blokes who would be considered A graders. Jack Steele's one of them, absolutely. I said Max King will be in a year or two's time. And I said, Jade Gresham has the ability to do it, except it's coming back from an injury and that's still a little bit away. I think I underestimated just how special Jade Gresham is and his ability to recover so well. It's not just a given that somebody comes back from a snapped Achilles. And he, he's been remarkable in, in being able to come back and have an impact. And perhaps Max King's gonna gonna go a lot earlier than what I um, what I anticipated. He has now got that aura of "I'm the man, get it into me." Um, so, yes, I am tentatively maybe trying to walk back some of my comments out. Okay, but I'm not. I'm not totally. 
locking it a, um, locking it away that that's a dead and buried argument just yet. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. So I'll give St Kilda a couple of rounds and I'll put a, a calendar note in my diary to check in with you <laughs> around Bradley Hill in about 10 weeks' time. You know Bradley Hill's game well, Dave Mundy. Yeah. Where's his best position? What sort of role should he be playing at St Kilda? Well, at all I know is that Fremantle won our best and fairest playing on the wing and that gut running, he's back up and down all day and he's, the mix of speed and endurance is unique. He's at the absolute upper echelon of both of those and that's really rare for any one individual to possess both of those at such high quality. Um, I think when he went back uh, last year, the year before, went back to half-back at St Kilda and got lost a little bit in that defensive side of um, the game, I guess, where he's not a dour one-on-one lockdown defender and, and we know what Brad's strengths and what his weaknesses are in terms of the AFL, game of AFL football. Um, but clearly his strengths are gut running, getting forward of the ball, stretching the defence, um, creating space, breaking up to the open side and really drawing the ball and creating really creative ball movement. So um, hopefully we can see a bit more of it because it's unique in the AFL. Let's move to Paddy Ryder. It's going to be a big talking point. Um, although I do sense a bit of a shift in people's attitudes around this. I think if you go back two years, people would look at the bump Paddy Ryder on Will Day today and if... Ryder was to be suspended, there would be outrage, absolute outrage at that because it essentially looked like we all knew as a fair bump not so long ago. And the AFL has been very keen to legislate around this and basically put the onus on the player, haven't they, that if you elect to bump and there is an injury caused to the head as a result of that, you are liable for that. I think as a result of that, regardless of what you think about the incident, the rules stipulate that he's going to be suspended. Do you, do you agree with that? And is that your understanding of the way that the rule works these days, Dave? Yeah, I certainly feel like in the last few years, the AFL has moved really aggressively to the head is sacrosanct. As you mentioned, if, if the head becomes part of a contest, you know, the player who chooses to create that kind of contest bears its consequences. Um, and on the back of the you know, concussion and CTE and all those really scary things that we don't want to think about too closely. Um, I think it's, all, it's really important, and particularly to kind of set that new mindset um, for the next kind of generation coming in and the generations after those guys. I mentioned before that the Paddy Ryder bump, historically in AFL football, has been coached in. You know, check the runner, don't let them get past, don't let them um, link up the play and all that kind of stuff. And, I really is a little bit more aggressive than it needed to be, but it didn't go outside the realms of what I was brought up to do and I'm sure what Cameron was brought up doing in football as well. So, um, yeah, the more that we can really control these kind of moments and make the correct kind of decisions on the back of them to protect the head and, you know, create a new normal as quick as we can, the better it will be for the next, you know, wave of footballs. So will you bump or will you go, it's just not worth the risk? No, typically in those kind of situations, I, I try and just tangle the guy up a bit rather than, because if you, like, because he, he didn't really, the, the argument will be, he didn't hit Will Day's head. He bumped him and Will Day, you know, his whiplash head come down into his shoulder or whatever. But by creating that um, contest and, and that moment, you bear the consequences, as you mentioned, Alistair. So, um, yeah, typically I, I just try and, like, tangle the guy up a bit and get in his way. Um, thing about AFL football is, you know, those little moments, those little push off the lines and things like that, they create big differences. So, um, yeah, try and avoid it, I, I guess, as best we can. 
I've, I've talked to about it, Lingy. Sorry, um, the fact that the the attitudes changed. That's reflected in what Dave's saying. It was reflected in what you and Luke Darcy said during the call today as well. Just that acceptance now, and and you said that your your attitude towards it had shifted yeah. a bit in recent years. Yeah, I've had to come a long way with it, Al. Absolutely, because it was it's the way you were trained. You, you tuck tuck your elbow in, you know, fair, and you you make hip and shoulder contact with the body of another player, play on, completely fair, no worries at all. If you accidentally get a little bit of shoulder to their job, well, that's just an unfortunate byproduct of a, a physical game. I've moved a long way from that now. I understand it. I worry about my own head and the hits I copped and how many times I was knocked out in a game. I worry about CTEs. You hear more and more evidence i've watched i've watched the movie concussion i i follow the nfl really really closely and you hear their stories and their statistics and some horrible things so i have a greater appreciation um of a need to as best we possibly can in a super physical game and a super dangerous game to try and limit the amount of times a player gets hit in the head when it's not really necessary. And I reckon even the way Paddy Ryder did it, he, he kind of just stepped into him, realised almost immediately the split second, ah, shouldn't have done it. It, it was almost just a, a habit, a reflex of you step in and block him like Dave's talking about with a hip and shoulder, and then straight away, you know, thought, oh, I shouldn't have, and, and almost went to his aid. Um, so I think Paddy will, he'll, he'll cop a week, I would say. I don't know if it'll be more than that, but I, I don't see him not being suspended is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I reckon even Paddy in that moment realised that he shouldn't have done it and needed to shift and it wasn't as necessary. Um, so I, I, I'm all for it now. Um, perhaps call it, you know, call it being a dad of three boys as well who's one day perhaps going to play footy at whatever level they go on and play. Um, if we can make a behavioural change for the next generation, maybe they don't get knocked out the six or eight times in their career like I did and, and you know, metal plates in my head and screws right through my face. Like, I don't want that for them. I don't want that for anyone who's playing the game. So, yeah, I've had to come a long way on it, but I'm, uh, I think I'm finally at a much better place when it comes to that sort of bumping and head contact. You make a really strong point there. For me... I've sort of wrestled with the idea that the AFL would try and regulate or legislate against accidents. Accidents are a part of life and you can't always apportion blame for something nor a penalty, in my view, for something that was just purely an accident. And yes, you want to eliminate head knocks in the game and try and mitigate the the, the chances of that happening as much as you possibly can. But I do hear from time to time people say, what about when a player elects to fly for a mark behind an opponent and they knee them in the back of the head? Now, the decision was made to, to go up and attempt to take the high mark, just as the decision was made to try and block the runner, as, as you've always been taught to do. And the outcome is potentially the same. Now, it horrifies me to think that you would ever have to legislate against the high mark in, in AFL football because it is one of the most special aspects of the game. Am I being alarmist in even bringing that to the table? I don't know if you're being alarmist. Um, it's it's worth a debate at at AFL level, but oh, maybe I've still got a long way to come on this one, Al. But I I, I think that is a, a a satisfactory footballing act. I don't even know if that's the right terminology to use in it. When you're flying, going 
for the ball, your eyes are 100% for the ball and you've jumped and launched yourself and it takes a certain level of bravery to launch at a ball and, and risk, you know, getting hit or landing awkwardly or anything like that. I would never want to see that happen. Yeah. But it's, it's worth the conversation. Dave, I don't know if you've got a different take on it. Or- no, I was going to say, I think any kind of um, scenario that you can hypothesise or think up, um, I think it's a great discussion point. I think being able to risk uh, mitigate or risk identify and then risk mitigate these kind of things. Um, and the more that we can identify and discuss and talk about and potentially, you know, legislate, you know, some, you know, to help guide the game a little bit without without altering the fabric and, and the, you know, the core nature of it, I guess. I think it's all, all beneficial. I think that's a... Sorry, Lingy, that, that term you use there, a satisfactory football act, I think is a, a really good term to use to, as a banner over all of this stuff. Essentially, the AFL and the way it's adjudicating this stuff at the moment is, is saying that the bump is no longer really a satisfactory football act. With If you're going to... If you're going to do what Paddy Ryder did at the MCG today and you're going to be suspended for it, yes, you might be able to use your body and jostle a bit and bump guys in close quarters out of the way in tight confines. But the bumpers, I think, as we used to know it, that no longer has a place in the game. Is that fair? I think that that's fair. You know what I love, to give some credit, I love the fact that um, there was no uh, suspended penalty last week um, and now I'm racking my brain to think who the actual tackler was when Jack Higgins ended up concussed in a desperate tackle. It might have been Ralph, um, Ralph Smith. Um, he just, it was a desperation act, dragged him down, saved a goal. To me, as unfortunate as that Higgins got concussed and now missed a game of football this week, that was a legitimate football act where uh, an accident happened. Um, and that's... That, I'm glad that wasn't penalised with a suspension because dangerous tackles should be, bumps should be, but not that type of accident, which is almost, you can't prevent those accidents. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good conversation. Just in wrapping up, because we're running out of time tonight, I wanted to touch on Melbourne. And they've been so superb. Watching them play against Port Adelaide, keeping Port Adelaide to... So zero goals at halftime for the first time in the club's history. But the way they went about it, Melbourne, they, to me, they looked almost peerless. They sort of looked 15% better than any other team in the competition. What, what's your read, Dave, on, on Melbourne and, and how they're travelling so early in the season? I think Melbourne's greatest strength is that they can kill you multiple ways. Petraka and Oliver didn't have great games on, on um, the weekend, Port Adelaide game. Um, you know, but everyone else just kind of stands up and it's such an even contribution that you, know, you can make, you can get a couple of guys off, off song or off kilter on one particular day or you're able to keep someone quiet throughout the course of a half or something like that. Someone else will just bob up and do a role for a little while and mightn't be as um, spectacular or as amazing to watch, but they just get the job done and they support each other and they know what they're all doing there. Their system and their game plan is, is just they're fully in sync. It's a good assessment too uh, when you say that there is that, I think there's a little bit of daylight between them and the rest. I think we, on Friday night we saw two of the very good teams going at it in a high-intensity quality game of footy and the Cats get the win in the end. But I don't think they're in the Melbourne bracket. I think we see emerging teams really exciting and what their future could be might be really special, but they're not there yet. And I include Dave's team in that, Fremantle. They've got a lot of learning to do. Carlton have still got a lot of learning to do. We see the 
contender from last year in the grand final, the Dogs, with questions galore on them. Port Adelaide with a lot of questions. And then you've got Richmond, the, the champs from the, the past five years, saying, okay, they could be good and back again, or they might not be because they've had 10 goals kicked against them. So many other questions. And then there is that just nice little bit of daylight sitting, and then you've got Melbourne. As Dave mentioned, right across the board, the best ruckman in the competition, best midfield in the comp, probably the, the, the best football, the All-Australian fullback in Stephen May. Jake Lever comes back in and away he goes. You've got a forward line now that is multi-pronged and Brown can miss, Wiedemann can come in. What, what on earth is Luke Jackson going to be? I mean, is he going to just turn into the most <laughs> remarkable footballer in the comp? Uh, all of that, just options galore. And that way, when you're preparing for them, who do you shut down? You want to tag Petrarca? Oliver will have it 40 times. You want to tag no one and back your system in? Good luck. So there is daylight between them and the rest at the moment. Dave was giggling in the background then, as you said, what's Luke Jackson going to be? He was thinking, hopefully he's going to be a Fremantle player a at some point. So yeah. We'll see what happens. I'm sure Melbourne will be very, very keen to keep him. Absolutely love chatting with you lads tonight. It's been a terrific start to the season. Congratulations, Dave, on Freo's start as well. Thanks so much for having a chat with us and being part of the Alan Lingy show tonight. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Lingy. Pleasure. Thanks, Dave. And the round of football kicks off on Thursday night, of course. Brisbane and Collingwood to kick off a huge round of football that goes right through to Monday with Hawthorne and Geelong. And Lingy was almost going down to the bench to try and tag Sam Mitchell when he was coaching down there earlier today. So that'll get the blood boiling, I reckon, Lingy, on Monday. Of course, you'll see all the action live and free on 7. Thanks for your company. And we'll catch you to wrap it all up round five next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.